name is Andrew Hunter Scully, and today we are covering My Winnipeg, released in 2007, directed by Guy Madden, screenplay by Guy Madden, and George Toll. And to join me today for My Winnipeg, once again, we have Spencer Allen Trout. Spencer, welcome back. Thanks for having me. So, Spencer is on this episode for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, yet again, the output of this show has been a little bit sporadic. One of the reasons is that we have been experimenting and working on new recording setups in order to have guests and, you know, have the show sound as good as possible recording in our kitchen, which is where we are right now. Um, so, we decided to just do one together instead of taking the time to get a guest in or over the phone in these quarantine times. Yeah, so with this new recording setup, we decided that, you know, we would just have one with the two of us so we wouldn't be wasting anyone's time in case every, you know, and the whole recording didn't turn out for whatever reason. Like the last one. Yeah, exactly. It seems to be a par for the course with this show sometimes. Yeah, so this episode is in kind of another gimme. I thought it would be fitting if I was going to be doing an episode with Spencer to do my Winnipeg. Because Spencer, you are a Winnipegger. Is that the term? Yes. There we go. Just yes. pull that one out of the air. Yeah. I don't think at this point there's any need to introduce you at all. No, go Sp back and listen to the other episodes if you want to get my story. Yeah, there you go. It's pretty well covered. There's a lot out there on my Winnipeg. I often comment on the show when I'm recording even relatively popular films that there's really little out there in terms of information about, you know, the production of the film, you know, pieces, thought pieces on the film. It seems Canadian cinema, we just don't seem to do deep dives into our own movies too much. But there's a lot out there on my Winnipeg. I mean, I didn't even have to go onto the internet to do any of my research. I have books on Guy Madden. I have a book specifically on my Winnipeg. Uh, so, I mean, there's even a Criterion DVD of it out there. there. There's an exhaustive amount of information on this film. So I figured instead of kind of doing a beat by beat deep dive into the film, I would get someone from Winnipeg to talk about it. Uh, because let's be honest, not a lot of people have been to Winnipeg. No, that's fair. A lot of people have been through Winnipeg, but not many people go there to visit and stay and take in the sights, right? So Yeah, I mean, I've been th through Winnipeg twice, stopped there once. Mm -hmm. You know, the first time I drove across the country, I kind of went around to Winnipeg and caught some of the main sites, saw the Golden Boy, yeah, you know, stuff like that. So, Spencer, you had never seen my Winnipeg before. No, not until I watched it for this. Um, you are familiar with the works of Guy Madden. I am, yes. Um, I think Twilight of the Ice Nymphs was actually the first feature-length film of his that I saw. Okay. So, for the sake of the audience, what is my Winnipeg? It's someone who lived in Winnipeg making a film about Winnipeg. I mean, the, the title's very apt. It is Guy Madden's Winnipeg. It's how he envisions Winnipeg and kind of artistically um, diving into Winnipeg, as it were. It's, yeah. it's part documentary, but it's, um, I believe you refer to it as a docu-fantasia, and it's kind of... Like, exactly, yeah, kind of... A piece together patchwork. He himself said that he had the idea of using completely disparate objects and combining them to create a subconscious product and to create an irre uh, irreconcilable effect for it. It is definitely a it is a love letter of sorts to a city that doesn't get a lot of love. Now I said we weren't going to do a deep dive, but I mean I think we need to do a little bit of background for the film just in case somebody might be listening to this who hasn't seen it before. 
Guy Madden, native Winnipegger. Uh, really, I mean, this is not to disparage any of the other films that we've covered on this podcast or, you know, play favorites, but this is really the first huge Canadian film we've covered on the show. Like, the first, like, big-name director, uh, you know, known all over the world. His works are all known. Like I said, there's a Criterion disc of this and many of his other films. Yeah, so this is the first time we're covering, like, one of the big-name directors of Canada. You know, an iconic film almost by this point. I mean, it's been around for over 10 years. Well, it is. It's a big film. It was all over the place when it came out. You know, it's made... It made top 10 lists of almost every major movie critic when it came out. And, you know, you even get it now when people are taught making, you know, top 10 lists of, you know, the movies post the year 2000, you know, it quite often goes on there. Uh, Madden was born in Winnipeg in 1957. Uh, he actually started out as a student of economics at the University of Manitoba and later was a photo archivist, which obviously lent itself well to this. Yeah, famously was a house painter for a while. He didn't really get into making films until his 30s, which is kind of inspirational unto itself. And I mean, obviously, I mean, how would you describe the films of Guy Madden? Uh, he, he takes a lot of aesthetic choices from silent films. Like even, even his color works look like they're kind of saturated in color. Like when you go back and they colorized a bunch of black and white films once color became a thing, it still has that aesthetic to it. He's very big on um, on that, and maybe not being like not like a heart of the world type, where it's very very blatant silent film. But he has this kind of um, there's a lot in the editing there. You know, like it's a, it, it's more like you can definitely tell it's a very artsy film in that regard. A lot of interspersed cuts and a lot of like even um, like dialogue cards despite the fact that there is dialogue in the film itself right yeah you know a, a lot of that look of movies from the 20s a lot of European films I mean anyone who knows anything about Guy Madden I mean it he got into films because he started hanging out with some neighborhood people who worked at the University of Manitoba and they would take out movies, you know, like millimeter print films uh, from the university and just screen them in their living rooms. And that was his first exposure to a lot of this sort of cinema that influenced his later works. And a lot of times they were copies of copies and, you know, really, really shitty prints. So he kind of, it's, it's funny that the sort of aesthetic quite often that he translates over isn't necessarily exactly the films of the time, but shitty prints of the films of the times absolutely uh have you seen many of his works now oh i've seen a, well, a handful maybe about five yeah he's definitely acquired taste but once you get on the right wavelength you really dig him yeah absolutely it's not it there's this kind of it, it it's funny because it for someone who to my understanding didn't have a background in theater a lot of his stuff is staged like his theater a lot of his films yeah, definitely. I mean, even if you watch some documentaries on him, you take a look at the sets built in these sort of warehouses of Winnipeg because mm -hmm. quite famously, his productions all take place in Winnipeg uh, using Winnipeg actors for the most part. There was that brief blip uh, right around 
just before making Wide Winnipeg that there was a lot of attention, a lot of Hollywood stars, famously like Isabella Rossellini, uh, international people wanted to be on the films. And then it's almost like he got big enough. And again, he's not huge. Like you have to pretty much be a film person to know who Guy Madden is. But being this quiet guy from Winnipeg, you could tell that he got kind of uncomfortable with the amount of acclaim and stuff like that. And his productions kind of shrunk down a lot afterwards and went back to that whole, you know, shooting films with local people and uh, talent. Uh, so just really quickly about my Winnipeg, uh, as stated in the opening, released in 2007, it was originally commissioned by the Documentary Channel. Uh, so this was not an original idea of Madden's, unlike most of his work. Uh, originally titled Love Me, Love My Winnipeg, he was approached just to make a film. It was either going to be, he was told that he, the president, uh, Michael Burns, uh, of who was the president of the documentary channel at the time, said that, you know, I want you to make a documentary on either trains or uh, Winnipeg. And Guy Madden has muse afterwards that he thinks that that is probably because he at one point took a train through Winnipeg. Um, the the uh, producer said uh, to Madden, what I want you to do is uh, make it your Winnipeg, uh, enchant me, and then his other piece of advice was don't give the frozen hellhole everyone knows that Winnipeg is. And he still manages to pull off the fact that Winnipeg's a frozen hellhole um, and completely disregards the fact that right now, or at least in a month or two, it will be a sweltering hellhole, which is the two extremes of Winnipeg. Um, so just to cover just a couple more bits of the basics, Shot for $500,000. Guy Madden originally declined doing the uh, documentary just because of the amount of work involved, Uh, you know, in terms of research, archival film. uh, He just basically thought that it would just be too much effort to make. And then from what I could gather a little bit later, uh, he needed some money. So he approached and wanted to see if they would still be willing to back the film, of which they agreed. And, uh, and then he went out. Uh, a lot of the influences, he was trying to think of how to approach it. He started talking to his friends and his friends would tell him like sort of half remembered facts or kind of things that they assumed were true about the city. And that's where he started to get the idea for the tone of the film. Uh, you know, what ends up being what he calls one third myth, myth, one third wishful thinking and one third factoid for the film. Guy Madden wrote the screenplay. Uh, One thing I did not know about his process is that a lot of his screenplays are written with uh, George Toll. Uh, So Madden kind of comes up with the basic structure of the film and what goes on in Toll does the pass. And apparently the very unique Guy Madden dialogue actually comes from George Toll. Because much like films like, you know, David Mamet or David Lynch, you can spot Guy Madden dialogue a mile away. So that kind of goes over the basics of it. Uh, I can kind of toss my notes aside now because as I said, I wanted this to be more the point of view of someone discovering this movie from Winnipeg and what it says to them. Uh, so Spencer, just to get off of, just right off the bat, I mean, when were you first aware of Guy Madden as somebody born, bred, raised in Winnipeg? Uh, well, I was, um, I grew up involved in theater and just knew him from like an acting kind of dramatic arts point of view you just knew who guy madden was i he was the biggest guy in winnipeg with with regards to that sort of thing i mean as a filmmaker 
no one else comes close to him from Winnipeg. Yeah, he is kind of the he's he's the guy, you know. It's like we'll never escape the guess who, we'll never escape Guy Madden. That's kind of our uh, legacy right there. Now, you being a theater guy though, like was Guy Madden known outside of theater circles? Like obviously, you know, on a national level, he was the person picked to make the doc- the documentary on Winnipeg that was commissioned. But uh like if you aren't into theater and you aren't into film, like is he a known commodity in Winnipeg? As a result of this film, absolutely. I mean, when this came out, it was everywhere. It was on every newspaper and every newsstand in Winnipeg. And yet, you managed to not see it. Uh, that, that's just me. I just yeah, I never. The, things are hit and miss with me when it comes to seeing films. I just, for whatever reason, I never saw it, despite the fact that my best friend and his brother are in it. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember we sat down and watched it together, and uh, yeah, you you were quite bemused seeing your friend on film. Yeah, because I I knew him. You've I, I've been friends with Wesley Cade for 20 years I mean and Wesley Cade plays uh, his older brother and Wesley's younger brother Brandon Cade plays his other brother uh, who as it turned out killed himself I'm sure we'll touch on that later talk about the family the character that he portrays killed himself because we're not going to do a beat by beat but one of the centerpieces of the film is that Guy Madden in an attempt to finally quote unquote escape Winnipeg uh, decides that he's going to do reenactments of his childhood with his mother and his mother, quote unquote. There's a, there's a lot of this sort of multi-level stuff going on in this movie. Anne Savage, who is fantastic in this. And if you don't know who Anne Savage is, uh, look up a movie uh, film noir called Detour, uh, which is not only one of my favorite noir films, but one of my favorite movies of all time. That's kind of what she was best known for. And uh, Guy Madden picked her kind of pulled her out of obscurity to portray his mother in the film uh in the film it is supposed to be his factual mother not an actress playing his mother so he gets her he goes to the old family home which we'll probably talk a little bit more about and uh stages these sort of reenactments so your two friends play the two actors playing his brothers in the recreations in the film yes and it is the character of the brother that your friend is playing he is the person who committed suicide not that your friend committed suicide not, no not that my friend's brother Brandon Cade killed himself he's still alive I saw him Christmas before last but yes yeah okay so let's just go right off the bat like what, what are your impressions of this like what what did it feel like to you being a Winnipeg or seeing something like this portrayed about your city well, it's funny. I think there are some things that um, jump out at me, like talking about the old arena and what that kind of meant to him. I don't care for hockey. I'm the first person to admit it, but I remember the old arena. I remember when it was demolished. My parents met at the old arena. Like, that's a big, that's a big part of my life, whether I want it to be or not. Well, it's kind of like me being from Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens. Yes. You know, when they decided to move the hockey to the Air Canada Centre and gut the old building. I mean, I think the facade is still there. But, you know, these kind of hallowed old institutions. And that's kind of a big takeaway of this film. I mean, as you said, this is Guy Madden's Winnipeg. You know, one thing that kind of crossed my brain a lot. You know, like, we both live in Halifax now. We're both transplants. Mm. Uh, You know, and I kind of toyed with the idea of what would my Toronto be? What would my Halifax be? You know, uh 
obviously like if I did in my Halifax a, you know a chunk of it would be about the local comic scene because that's what's important to me yeah right. you know and uh you know to a lot of other people they wouldn't give an f and uh but that's what i think is great about this film the sort of docufantasia effect you know the sort of hypnotic quality the i mean the movie opens with uh well it opens with line readings with ann savage portraying the mother so immediately setting up this idea of this sort of artifice that you're not seeing a real documentary because you're seeing an actor doing line readings uh, with Guy Madden coaching or doing these lines over and over and over again. We're seeing that happens later in the film. But the film opens up with, you know, a very Guy Madden-y mantra of Guy Madden doing these voiceovers of trying to escape Winnipeg while you have this rocking train that, you know, seemingly will never actually leave Winnipeg. So right off the bat, there's a sort of idea that Winnipeg is a place to escape, uh, at least for Guy Madden, even though famously he, you know, hates leaving Winnipeg. He hates traveling. That's, you know, still why all of his stuff is filmed in Winnipeg. What do you think of that take of it? Like, were, were you somebody that couldn't wait to get out of there? Well, I mean, I waited long enough. I did, I did leave. I haven't lived in Winnipeg now for, well, going on 10 years. Um, but it, it's funny because it's always like home is home is home and where you come from very much so makes a part of you especially in my case where you know i lived there for 25 years you know i was born there and, um even i can't really escape kind of the mentality of winnipeg as such i mean everything that's in that film true or false is all still kind of part of winnipeg yeah I, I definitely get that i definitely carry around that kind of um and as someone who's interested in history, especially history of places that I've been, like Winnipeg, it was very, it was interesting to watch and be like, like true, true, false, right? Yeah, I remember when, when I, I first saw it, like I, I saw it when it came out. I want to say that it was opening weekend. I saw it as soon as I could anyways, because I had just gotten into Guy Madden around the time that this movie was released. I mean, I think I got into Guy Madden with Saddest Music of the World because... I was living in Toronto at the time and, you know, there were a lot of art house cinemas. So, mm -hmm. you know, these movies did get buzzed about. Uh, but I was living in Victoria by the time my Winnipeg came out. And I really didn't know too much about it going in. Uh, but I remember immediately after leaving, going back to my play thought place on Government Street and just looking up as many facts as I could about Winnipeg. Like, is it really the sleepwalking capital of the country? You know, the mm -hmm. famous horse head scene of all the, the now iconic shot of all the horse heads frozen in the river yeah. after the uh, stable fire and just kind of like looking up and just being like okay this is true and sometimes being surprised by what was true you oh, know absolutely and what isn't and walking that fine line of memory uh the other thing and i mean this is this is a movie that you can talk about on a lot of different levels and there's so many different little film snippets like little bits and you know like he says like little tidbits here and there that every time I watch it, there are bits that I always forget about. Like, I always forget about the part about uh, the bridge uh, that was originally supposed to go across the Nile, but it was like the wrong size. So Winnipegers, ever looking for a bargain, decide that they're going to buy it and put it in Winnipeg. Which you know, is... and, you know, I forget about these things. And, uh, and then there are ones, parts that are just absolutely ingrained in my brain. The one thing that really interests me about it as well, when you talk about the sense of history 
and you know history is also memory and memory can sometimes be false and your con the thing that you brought up about home that in this movie home isn't even necessarily a place it's a time mm -hmm. you know like i consider my home to be toronto in the 90s right you know that toronto is not there anymore it's been a lot more gentrified a lot of places that i used to like to go are literally gone and replaced by condos now so I don't feel like I would be going home if I went back to Toronto. And that's what Guy Madden really goes into here. You know, that it's specifically the Winnipeg of his childhood, his memories of his family, that, you know, home is also can be a time and not just a physical place that you go to and playing with concepts of memory and how that plays into it. Right. And I think um, that plays into his sleepwalking capital. Like, that's the thing is that, Everything has a half-truth in this film. Even the most outrageous claims, such as that. Um, Which is one of my favorite parts of the film. Like, that's one part that always... Like, there, I think the loveliest bit of fiction in this film is the whole thing of, as they stated, that, you know, it's a sleepwalking capital of the world. And there's a law in place that if somebody is sleepwalking and they end up at an old residence, the owners of the residence have to take them in and make sure they're comfortable. Yeah. I just love that as a concept. Well, and I think the whole sleepwalking thing is true about Winnipeg. I think it's true about a lot of places is that people just kind of live their life on autopilot. And I know that's certainly true for a lot of people in Winnipeg. They'll never leave Winnipeg. Yeah. Right? They don't even necessarily think to. It's um, sleepwalking. You just get up every day and they kind of go about their business. Winnipeg's terribly isolated in that sense you can't really go anywhere where do you go do you think that's part of it do you think that there's sort of, sort of psychological wall of isolation as he says in the intro of the beginning of the movie like it's at the heart of the heart of the of the continent like right in the middle do you think that has something to do with the idea of people not leaving winnipeg i mean i can say that about where i'm from like i say i'm from toronto but technically i'm from brampton and you know i always say that there are two types of people in brampton you know those that can't get out of there fast enough and those that just put down roots and stay there forever whichever way may be you know whichever which whatever floats your boat there's not a good or a bad way to look at it but like with winnipeg like like i say with brampton that is because it's the suburbs and either you're a suburbs person or you're not but like with winnipeg do you think that isolation has something to do with the sleepwalkness the not leaving aspect of it absolutely um it's never really been hit hard by well since the great depression it's never been really the economy there has never been so bad like someplace like out here for example or like newfoundland in the 90s is a great example um where the entire economy just kind of bottoms out and people go elsewhere that never really happened in winnipeg there's always been work there of some kind right because as i say in the film it's this huge hub like the rail system i think the rail facts that he quotes in there is one of the few truths well it it's funny because winnipeg a huge part of its population is Scottish and Slavic, both of which are notoriously cheap cultures, for lack of a better term, notoriously tight-fisted, and that comes into Winnipeg's love of bargain. That's true. Any time that they want to roll out something new in retail, at least for two major retail companies that I worked for, they would roll it out in Winnipeg as one of their, as one of the places they would test that because it's true. Winnipeg's love of bargain, and that's but see that's the thing that's that's from an, that, that's a truth in a bit that is otherwise BS, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the, there's the old Winnipeg saying, the bullshit baffles brains, you know? And that's, and Guy Madden 
really plays that up because he's not 100% wrong. Very rarely is he 100% right, but there's such subjective truth in a lot of what he says, and that's what makes this movie fascinating. Well, that's why I wanted to get somebody from Winnipeg here. Like, he, when he was producing, I, I read in a couple of places that you know, he wanted to make a film about Winnipeg like when he was growing up and there would be a movie that takes place in New York mm. or takes place in San Francisco. Uh, these cities that kind of have a cinematic reputation that for someone like me, like I've been to New York, but I'll be honest, I haven't been to New York in probably over 20 years. You know, my impression of New York, Manhattan proper is, you know, still from movies and TV or even if they don't take place there, like a lot of people are familiar with what Vancouver looks like just because of the amount of TV shows shot there. So he wanted to give this sort of impressionistic quality to Winnipeg. And do you think he nailed it? Or do, got close? Well, like, do you think somebody, like the many, you know, however many people have seen this movie and haven't been to Winnipeg, do you think that they get an accurate impression at least of Winnipeg? Well, no, simply because every other city that, that you mentioned there it there's some kind of coding for it how how did you know that uh, Full House took place in San Francisco they didn't have to say it the first shot is of the Golden Gate Bridge like every time for the opening credits right I was just going to say I before this moment did not know that Full House took place in San Francisco but if you watch if you watch the intro credits it's like you know it's like how did you know that like Seinfeld's coded New York yeah exactly. right like you know yeah. they, they, there's a code that you can use to be like Seinfeld would never have to say this takes place in New York City because it's obvious it takes place in New York City. Whenever I see a picture of a New York diner, I get the Seinfeld but a bum 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 just bum, run bum, through bum, my head. Bum, bum. Um, that's it. Seems almost kind of sad that when Winnipeg is portrayed in film, in Canadian film as well, I can only think of it ever being portrayed in Canadian film, but it is that frozen. Hellhole. Well, you get. This is a funny thing about Winnipeg. You get Winnipeg as sort of like a butt of a joke. Yes. Like I'm thinking of that, you know, kind of for Canadians famous Simpsons line, and I don't even remember the episode, but there's a family in the car, and it's like the kids are acting up, and he's like, "Don't stop arguing. There's going to be no Cape Canaveral for anyone, right?" And they, you know, and he says, "If you don't stop right now, we're turning this car back around and headed back to Winnipeg." Yeah. And then he gets slapped on the back of the head by Nelson. It's like that's it, back to Winnipeg. Yeah. Well, no, but um. Like, I think in, like, Hardcore Logo, for some reason, they get to Winnipeg and it's a blizzard. And Yeah, because that's the farthest part of their tour. They're touring, yes. like, from Winnipeg to Vancouver for the benefit show. And God, I want to cover Hardcore Logo on the show. In my, in my Winnipeg, it's the same. Like, most of the outdoor scenes are all snowy. And it's like, yes. But again, there's so much of Winnipeg that isn't that. The only time that there's not snow on the ground is in historical footage. Right, and that's a big, that's a huge part of Winnipeg. No one, no one could live somewhere where it's that miserable all the time. Even like you just you couldn't. Well, it's kind of a funny, weird obsession of his. Like I'm, I'm pretty, like I said, I'm pretty sure the first movie of his that I saw was Saddest Music of the World, and in the world. And I remember first watching it, and when you're watching it, it it as well takes place in the snowscape, and it's a film of his, one of his few films that actually take place in quote-unquote Winnipeg and not some sort of far-off European town or something like that. And uh, everybody's getting around by these subterranean sort of tubes. It's like they 
they're like submarines that they get in with the hatch in the top and it just kind of travels through the snow and it wasn't until halfway through the film that I realized that they're streetcars and the snow is so high on either side like they don't draw attention mm -hmm. to it uh, so it seems like an aspect that Guy Madden really kind of leans into like are you disappointed that he leans so heavily because like my big takeaway of this film is that it does still lean heavily into cliches right it does have you know the center heart piece of the entire film is about the arena being destroyed and about how the Winnipeg Jets were taken away and you know I kind of cringe a little bit when I think about an international audience seeing a Canadian film and we're still going on about hockey in some way shape or form well I think um I don't want to say that relying on like Winterpeg is lazy, but I mean, it kind of is, but it's also something you have to deal with when you're talking about the city. For my money, the most interesting stuff is the stuff that goes on at the ledge. Because the legislative building is another building that I have. I had a fascination with it when I was a child and I still do. Um, well, describe how, the, how it's used in here, what the legislative building is. Well, legislative building is where the, the Manitoba legislative body meets. Um, so it is like the true provincial capital. That's why Winnipeg is the provincial capital and has it. Our uh, MLAs meet there. It's surrounded in kind of the shroud of mystery because there are some very unique artistic choices made and aesthetic choices when they built the legislative building, which was made about 110 years ago. And it was, well, begun and it finished after the First World War. Um, there's a Black Star pool in it, which is a nine-pointed star in marble and there's sphinxes and there's all kinds of which guy madden is quick to draw attention to he yes. maintains that it was built by masons yes well uh, which i mean like by definition any stone building was made by masons no but, but yes masonic lodge yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and yeah there's definitely uh that kind of interest in that building i've like i said my father worked there uh he worked for the phone systems and had contract there so as a teenager just before my father retired he took me through the whole building because he had the the master key for it that'd right? be cool so, no it was fantastic it's a very unique building and um they bring in things like viscount gordon all these kind of historical characters and the idea that there was a big um kind of paranormal scene there when it comes to things like uh, seances and contacting the dead and the paranormal even now uh chris ratowski who's one of the premier canadian ufologists is an assistant professor or a professor at uh, the university of manitoba and he's like the canadian authority on ufos right like there's this weird kind of um supernatural inkling to manitoba as well well and they go into that at the beginning of the film uh the beginning of the film it's funny we also watched this movie with our friend tessa the beginning of the film, like I said, is very meditative. And, you know, then he starts going on about the three rivers. What are they? Well, it's, it's two rivers, but it's the Red and the Assiniboine meet at the Forks. At the Forks, but, okay. But it's like the Assiniboine merges into the Red, and then north of there, it's the Red. Which leads to the very beginnings of Winnipeg, that it was a meeting place for the indigenous population because of mm -hmm. these rivers meeting for yes. trade. And uh, in the movie itself kind of meditates on that and the sort of spiritual almost psychic energy that kind the of comes from it rivers, comparing it yeah. to a woman's lap yes you know and the cycle of birth like it's really easy to sound conceited talking about this film at point and uh it's funny because tessa who had no idea what she was getting into she was just along for the ride whatever we were watching and uh 
afterwards stated that she was really relieved that the movie kind of shifts from that because it goes on for a while. Like the first 10, 15 minutes of this film is this sort of meditative mantra mm -hmm. about the spiritual energies and stuff like that. Yeah, I just remember her commenting that she was very relieved that, you know, she was like, is it going to be an hour and a half of this? Well, and I, I think that that's just kind of... Um, that I, I'm glad that all that stuff is in there because that is... It's reflective of Winnipeg. Yeah. That, that there is this weird kind of metaphysical context to everything. And, you know, and sorry, we're kind of getting around what we were talking about but like the this revolves around the seance scene mm -hmm. which is actually one of my favorite scenes of the movie uh because it incorporates so like this is this is the the, the seance scene is like the guy mad and greatest hits yes yes part of the yeah. movie pulling in all these sort of different elements that he's used even you know having a ballet dancer in there which is a reference to his work with the royal winnipeg ballet and his work with them with uh pages from the virgin's diary the winnipeg ballet's version of dracula oh you know what and i just okay i just realized that he obviously had permission to film in the legislative building in the ledge because that's the ledge those are the bison that's the staircase that's all the all the limestone and marble in there that's yeah. that's legit whereas whereas i think of other on scene um footage in the film it's all like handicam footage because he didn't have these apparently uh, found unique ways to acquire footage of things like the arena before it was completely demolished. Uh, and even the paddle wheel scene, like the paddle wheel restaurant in the Bay Building of that, that all looks like handicap footage. And I just wonder if, if that's indicative that he didn't necessarily have uh, permission to film there. Well, I, I don't have the actual list on me, but there are at least seven or eight different sort of film mediums that he mm. shot in, you know, on film, on video, on phone, yes. you know, some of the grainy footage and stuff like that. Like, and it's just all cobbled together, which again, it leads to a very interesting patchwork yes. quality in the film, uh, you know, and kind of throws what is archival footage that you're watching? What is recreations? Apparently the actual archival footage is very minimal. Yeah in there well in it, it was interesting know, so. that you said that the a lot of the if day scenes aren't archival which is really interesting to me because apparently uh fox media owns them yeah like the, it did get some international attention and the only actual footage he could find and they were charging like an astronomical amount to use the footage so he ended up only getting like 20 seconds of actual footage yeah and uh, kind of recreating. But that's the whole thing. Like, the impressionistic nature of the film. One of my favorite parts of the film is when they go into the uh, riot. Yes. Uh, yeah. the, the Winnipeg General Strike. The Winnipeg General Strike. And, you know, he incorporates animation in there. Yes. You know, and these sort of impressionistic... Got to stop saying impressionistic. You know, again, slamming these mediums up. And, you know, we're trying... We're making this sound rather arty and dour, but it's also a really funny film. It is. You oh, know, it has like Guy Madden always has a certain element oh, of comedy to it. it. Almost like a lynch like, film. One of the funniest lines in Canadian cinema, right? Which is, Mom, get up and make us meatloaf. I still, that kills me. When I heard that, I absolutely died. That's hilarious. Okay, well, let's get into this. Uh, again, because it's hypothetical that somebody would not be watching, would be listening to this that has not seen the film. The film at the centerpiece. It has all these sort of bits and bobs. Some of them we may get to, but the two main centerpieces of the film are, as we touched about, the dis 
the destruction of the Winnipeg Arena, the is it the not the Bay Building is the one that's still up. The Edens? Yeah, the Edens building. Where my dad also worked. Yeah, so the destruction of the Edens yes. building and basically To make the new arena. Because the new arena, the MDS yeah. Center, is where the Edens building was. And what was the other thing that gets destroyed in the film? I'm blanking. But there's that whole part, and that's the part that kind of at least the build the uh, arena. Oh, Happy Land. Oh, Happy Land. Yeah. At Happy least Land the arena. Well, we should talk about Happy Land because Happy Land is weird. Uh, but anyways, the two big center points: the destruction of the arena, and really his relationship with his father. It's the only time that he really goes into his father mm -hmm. at all, who died when I think he was like in his twenties. Uh, but apparently yeah, he's had at a, university. Yeah, or, but yeah. had a somewhat strained relationship with, mm -hmm. and then these home recreations that involve his mother so you have the both the male and the female influence because the mother side of it the mother being very domineering over the family at least the way that she is portrayed in this yes. they got Anne Savage for God's sake <laughs> yeah. who made film noir femme fatales look like pussycats in detour yeah. Uh, yeah these recreations also go into the family home where they grew up uh, which was they lived on top of a beauty salon it was this large, blocky, white house. Yes, yeah, at Lills, at 800 uh, Ellis Avenue. And do you know where that is? Like, yeah, it's, it's Tams Taylor now, which is funny because like, he, he shows a, like, just a flash of it on screen. I'm like, hey, I know that building. Whether or not he actually lived there is one thing, but that's I, what's at 800 Ellis. I, I think he did. Yeah. because I, believe, uh, I would believe like, when, anything else in this film. I'd believe well, it. Because when I was doing research for this film, one of the things that I watched was... Uh, Around the time of Twilight of the Ice Knits, when that was still in production, a documentary narrated by Tom Waits was filmed uh, about Guy Madden, and a lot of it revolves around twi Twilight of the Ice Knits. Right. But they also, you know, go back and do a career retrospective up until that point. Right. And it's a really interesting watch and a snapshot of Guy Madden at that time mm -hmm. and what he was going through because he's basically sitting there on Twilight of the Ice Knits, which was a very, if you know Guy Madden, famously a very troubled production after not getting quite a few projects off the ground after getting you know this sort of attention and uh you know and there's you know Shelley Duvall and Hollywood types in there so he's not working with the same people and anyways uh he describes his childhood home and it's a lego reconstruction of it which of course is used in my Winnipeg I had never put two and two together I just thought it was a clever way for him to show the house with this lego prop of what the house looked like but he had it back in what was Ice Nips 97? Yeah it was mid so to late 90s he yeah. had it back then it was something he had lying around mm -hmm. so unless he's like one of these people that is constantly making stuff up I imagine that he did indeed live above a hair salon the book that I have on my Winnipeg actually has like archival photos of what is it Lil's? Yes. hair salon uh, but to go back to the whole thing about the masculine and the feminine like they dwell a long time about this and the sort of female influence of like you know being around these middle-aged women and going to school smelling of like hair product and hairspray and the sort of effect of that and this sort of obsession with like you could see like struggling with his attractions to women both these old women his relationship with his mother and also rather creepily fetishistically looking at the uh, girls from the what is it catholic schoolgirl academy oh uh, yeah saint mary's saint, saint mary's, mary's. Academy, yeah uh so that's really the heart of the film is, is these two parts so the recreations are fascinating because they take th there are three of them scattered throughout the entire movie 
and they take very different tracks as to the relationship of the mother with the family one of them are the lines that's being repeated at the beginning where she's convinced that the daughter after hitting a deer with the car really was having a sexual tryst mm-hmm. you know with someone from the track team or some random stranger that came to help her with the car uh, and just being absolutely horrible the daughter saying you're nuts and then the one that you referenced which is the poor mother's tired lying in bed and the children two of which are your friends berating her to get up and make them food because they're utterly incapable of making any food themselves which to note uh, Guy Madden himself as a young as a young boy is not present here it's only his siblings yeah he is he is not in the recreations yes. you could hypothetically say because he's so he was quite a fair bit younger than his siblings so maybe that's why uh, he wouldn't have been as active in these things maybe because the camera is supposed to be him him watching his family this way and also the father is not in these recreations and they note that his father had passed away he thinks it would be creepy to get an actor or upsetting to the mother to get an actor to play the father so instead as a compromise they exhume his body and bury it in the middle of the living room underneath a couch so underneath a blanket yes uh a rug rug. uh so through all these household recreations this is one of those movies that if you haven't seen or you don't know guy madden like it sounds like we're making it up oh yes but the father is underneath a rug you see this mound and when they're all watching tv they're like leaning up against the mound in the middle of the room uh, and again, on the multi-level of this, so not to upset the mother, but the mother is actually an actress. Like I said, many layers. Yeah. Uh, but that brings me to one of my favorite parts, which is in the first segment, which is Legend Yeah, so again, in this movie, uh, the family's gathered watching TV and it claims that Legend is the only drama, daily drama filmed in Winnipeg. Yes. And Ledge Man is basically... I'm trying to think of how they describe it in, a, in the in the film. Uh, every episode revolves around an overly sensitive main character who takes light to something, goes out onto the ledge of his apartment building, threatening to jump, yes. and then has to be coaxed back in. Yes. And this is apparently a daily drama, and this is what every episode is about. Are Winnipeggers overly sensitive? Is that what he's saying? Which would be ironic because he is overly sensitive about a lot of things that he's talking about. Well, no, I think the fact that it's uh, a show that stars his mother has his mother at the age that she's currently at in these flashbacks. That he, I think it's more of him reflecting on himself. Well, Ledgeman is up. played by the guy who plays, quote-unquote, Guy Madden, Madden yes. at the beginning of the film. In the, on the train, And yes. I love how the mother was the actress in Ledgeman who plays the mother that starts out berating him on the ledge but then gradually you know says you were never a disappointment talks him back in but then he also says that his mother's sitting at home and never misses an episode so that's as well playing into this whole sort of multi-layer meta there's a lot of layers physically and figuratively absolutely in this film with a lot of this sort of plot well, I think that that's the whole point of this film is that it, it part of it is kind of a catharsis and it's a lot of kind of um dealing with issues that you have and by calling it my winnipeg you can kind of say it's about my city yeah but really like it's a map to his brain it's about yeah it's about guy madden that's that's what it is that's what this film is it's guy madden looking hard at himself while looking at the city of winnipeg 
Now, did any of this film resonate with you at all as a Winnipegger? Oh yeah, certainly. Like I, like I said, all the stuff about the um, the old arena and about the ledge, about things that I could agree with. Would you say the ledge? You mean the legislature, not the ledge that the yeah, ledge the man stands on? Yeah, yeah. No, that's what they when when the Winnipegger says, "Yeah, I'm going to the ledge," or it's like this is going down down at the ledge. They mean the legislative building. Yeah. Um, even just small things like being dyslexic. I mean, most of my family's dyslexic to some extent. And would you say that in context of the film? Yeah, he could because he was talking about how in his boyhood home his uh, his name was carved backwards in into his door, so Santa would know where he lived. Yeah, he just mentions that in passing. And it's a small detail, but it's still a a detail, right? Oh yeah, no, it definitely it definitely um, resounds with how much like you want to leave Winnipeg, but you just can't like. It, like you said about home being a time and a place, and it is a time and a place. Like, you know, my home is Winnipeg, but the Winnipeg of 20 years ago, right? Yeah. And I get that. He's, he, Guy Madden's never going to leave Winnipeg. He can't leave Winnipeg. He can confront it, but he's going to realize that he's kind of confronting himself. And that, that resonates with me being an artist and someone who left Winnipeg. Yeah. You know? Do you think the film gets a good sense of geography? Like you pointed out, knowing where the childhood home was. Well, yeah, he can't. That's the thing. These are all real locations. Anything that he's kind of um, obtuse about as to where it's exactly it's located, like the frozen horse heads. Well, yeah, okay, that makes sense because he's just pulling that out of his ass, as it were. And just explain what that is because it is one of the more striking moments of the film. Yeah, there's a, the, he says there was a fire in the stable and the horses plunged into the river and kind of froze in place there with their heads sticking out and like it became a sort of tourist yeah, attraction, tourist attraction. And lovers would go by and like go for a stroll amongst these horse heads which is a great scene that's one of the iconic scenes of the film that's one that everyone knew about right before ever seeing it yeah I, there's a collection of the screenplay with notes by Madden that I would love to get I mean I have numerous books about Guy Madden but I've never tracked that one down and the cover is beautiful it's this sort of greenish cover and it's just the silhouettes of the horse heads yeah you know, like cut out paper. Yeah, but everything like uh, like Happy Land, like the uh, the historic. Uh, so Happy Land was a real thing. It was a real thing. Yes, it was an amusement park called that, Happy Land. Called Happy Land. Yes, which was on the north side of the Assiniboine, where uh, the Wolseley neighborhood is now. Um, yeah, and it was around until I believe it was the thirties. It was from around the turn of the century until the thirties. It was there, and it was just like a theme park. Yeah, you know, imagine like. Um, like the CNE or the PNE or any of those kind of like attractions. It was kind of like, it was kind of the same idea. It was an amusement park that was uh, that very typical kind of like, imagine a midway and like a rickety wooden roller coaster, Ferris wheel, that kind of thing. Yeah. And in the film, it kind of plays as this whole sort of metaphor of the Winnipegers desire for this sort of idea of like happiness, but you know, falling into disrepair and in the film, towards the end of the film, being trampled by bison. Yes, yeah. Baby. And destroyed and trampled yes. by bison. By a stampede of, uh, of bison, yes. Which is the provincial emblem as well as a, as a bison standing on a grassy Oh, ledge. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. You're absolutely right. That's funny. So we, we kind of briefly talked about it. I, I mean, even though it's, it's really striking and really impactful him going on about the destruction of the arena and the Winnipeg Jets I mean let's be honest neither of us are hockey guys no. 
you know, he, he it, it is really powerful. Like it was, it really struck me when I first saw it, that scene, just walking away being like, wow, like you could tell his passion and his relationship to that building with his father growing up. And one of the more interesting parts of the entire film is actual footage of him going in mid-demolition to urinate in what is referred to as the trough. The trough. No, the trough. See, that's what I loved about watching it with you yeah. because these little bits would come up and your reaction would be like, the trough. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, the trough. the trough is a big deal. Okay, the trough was... Um, so, the old Winnipeg Arena, um, when it was built, instead of having an individual... When was it built anyways? Like, how old was it? I... I would have to say prior to the mid-60s. Okay. Um, maybe, I would say the latest it was built was 65, but it wasn't so old. I just wondered like how historical the building actually was. Like, was it just nostalgia tied to it because that's just where the local team played for a long time? Well, it was not only that. It's like all kinds of events would come through there as well. Yeah. I went there to see concerts more than anything. Yeah. I mean... Um, well, like me, I never went to Maple Leaf Gardens to yes. see a hockey game, but, you know, but I saw, like, tons of bands there. When it was put in, it was, um, the washrooms had, instead of an individual urinal, it was just, it was just a stainless steel trough with, like, urinal pucks thrown in it and a drain at either end, right? And how many people would this... As many as, you, as many as you as, and if you could fit in there you would all just jointly well that was, that was exactly it right you could fit in like let's say you could fit in 20 guys into there all at once just get them going through right and this would be right off the main concourse so it's like you could ha grab a beer on your way out go back to your seat wait for that to go through you and go back right so the trough it just kept it was like a revolving door interesting and I know it's weird that we're talking about a giant mass urinal but like he drives home the point that he is he films himself breaking in to be the last person to pee in this trough I will say this that trough going now to the MTS center which is where they built the new arena which was on top of the old Eden's building you go there for any event I saw plenty of concerts there I saw one of the first concerts there which was a tragically hip, it was super Canadian. That's the most like Canadian sentence I think ever strung together as I went to a hockey arena to see the tragically hip play. But you went to the washroom and there was a lineup going out the men's room door. And then the chant started, bring back the trough. You, it, <laughs> since then, it doesn't matter what event you go to. If there is a lineup in the men's room at the MTS center, somebody will start the chant, bring back the trough. That's such a wonderful, like, regional detail. Yeah. Knew it. And then it, it was great. It had those, uh, you know, those sinks where you didn't have to, you, you didn't have to turn on the taps. You could, like, have, have the foot pedal to it. I remember those yeah. in, like, like, shop class. Yeah. We had those, like, the yes, foot pedal. Yeah, exactly, yeah. God, yeah. that's a weird memory coming back. Now, see, I can't remember if that was in all of, like, we're, we're going back. You're, it's been deck. it's been 20 years easy since I've been to the MTS, or sorry, to the old Winnipeg Arena. But it was just efficient. They just packed everyone in like sardines, and it's like, go at her. Just, huh. just have it, right? See, and like we both said, like we don't really care about hockey, but like you know, you we do have a lot of things to say yeah. about the arena. That's oh, interesting. Yes. Uh, I mean, in the film, Guy Madden then goes on further because his father worked. Was it the Winnipeg Maroons? Yes, yes, the Maroons, yeah. which was an older hockey team before yes. the Winnipeg Jets. Yes, uh, I'm not. Again, I'm not a hockey guy. I don't know the history of these teams and when they joined and whatnot. I only know about the Winnipeg Jets leaving because of this film. Right. And that being a big deal. 
and you not being a hockey guy, but he talks about memories of being in the arena as a child. And this is what I find interesting about the balance. As much as he's creepy about, you know, the girls at the school and, you know, having this sort of thing for delinquent girls. And when he says girls, he's talking about girls that are like 13 years old. Yeah, compared to him, which um, was like, that's him when he's quite he, young. He, does, he doesn't yeah. outright say you know, I'm into these young girls. Like, I, I don't want to put those words in his mouth. But there is a vibe there. There is a very much a fetishistic vibe, especially when they go into the Winnipeg riots and they go into this whole sort of thing about the fathers protecting the school behind the barracks from the revolting Bolsheviks. Yeah. Uh, you know, because they're afraid that they're going to rape their, like, children, you know, and kind of fetishistically talk about it. And that is balanced out by all these sort of homoerotic sort of dreamlike things of, like, being around these, like, naked Russian hockey players when he was younger basically being like eye level to their groin when they were like he was like their towel boy yeah, yeah. and like fetishistically stealing their tunics and wearing them at home yeah you yeah. know and like kind of like breathing in the scent of them so like there's also this whole sort of weird sort of sexuality thing going on in the whole thing that's the only other thing that I really wanted to bring up about the whole sort of the arena sequence you know, is all of that stuff mm-hmm. and the sort of bringing back all these dead Winnipeg hockey players for one final game as the yeah, things yeah. collapsing around him. And, and it is name? one of the longer parts. I mean, I think yeah. that goes on for about 15 minutes. And what's his name who's in that? Is an actual hockey player too. I, I, again, I forget his name. I, I forget. I know they bring things like Terry Sawchuk. Like my grandmother knew Terry Sawchuk because she was, uh, you know, the daughter of Ukrainian immigrants and it was just like, that was that part of Winnipeg, right? Yeah. That, that North End, that EK kind of East Kildurland things that like everyone kind of knew each other like it, it's it, i think it for me what makes this an ideal winnipeg movie is like of course i know two people who are in it yeah you know like it's just that's winnipeg everyone kind of knows everyone despite the fact that it is a large city yeah you know it's not huge by any stretch of the means but it's still that's such a winnipeg thing and i like like getting back to the homoeroticism that brings up the whole point of the uh the golden boy contest yeah i was going to ask because we've kind of like, focused on yeah. a few key things if there were other aspects little snippets of the film because what there's probably about a couple of dozen yeah like set pieces that he kind of goes to about different things about Winnipeg and we've only scratched the surface oh yes absolutely no I, so I wanted to ask like what other ones jumped out to you no uh, definitely the the whole golden boy scene. so briefly just, like, just give a synopsis of that uh, it's uh, was it one of the mayors or obitsmen or aldermen or something for the city uh, let, let me look that up because I love the name because of how they frame it. Because earlier on when they're talking about the history of the city, uh, Mayor Cornish. Okay. Uh, the, the honest Mayor Cornish. And then I think they refer to him in the Golden Boy sequence as the former yeah, uh, yeah. Honorable Mayor Cornish. Yes. Who apparently was the last name of the first yes. mayor of Winnipeg. Been, but that would have been back in like, in like 1880. Yeah. Right? So it's basically about Whereas him. This takes place in more like in the... 30s or 40s gathering yeah. from it. Where... So the Golden Boy pageants, because the Golden Boy is on top of the legislature. Legislature. It is a. Yes. Is it of Hermes? Uh, yeah, I believe it's uh, it's Hermes, and he's facing north, carrying a shaft of weed and carrying a torch. It's and it's a gold statue. Yes. And I mean, even I have when I was there a souvenir pin of the Golden Boy. Oh yeah, I have one on my on my denim vest. Yeah. 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 And so, but it's also the name of these pageants that they would mm-hmm. hold in the Bay Building. Yes, it was at the Paddle Wheel Diner, which used to be on the second to top floor. So for people that don't know the yeah. Bay, Hudson's Bay Company, it is a Canadian institution. It goes back to fur trappers. Yes. Uh, but is a department store chain 
in which, Canada, up which, until which like all over the world, there. department stores are going the way of the dodo, but the bay is still around, and it was generally no matter where you live. Historically, it was even if you lived in the city, there was a big downtown yeah. bay building. Yeah. Like every town in Canada has a bay building. Yes, and it was headquartered in Winnipeg historically. Yeah, up until very recently. So like, they had this shockingly thing, recently. So they had this restaurant called the Paddle Wheel Restaurant, which yes. basically was like. Is it was like a cafeteria? Yeah, yes. It was basically a cafeteria style restaurant. I was called the paddle wheel because the red and the Assiniboine rivers, especially the Assiniboine, has a fluctuation of its silty bottom. Um, they are great ways to get around the prairies quickly, um, but like most rivers in that part of the world and famously in the States, it would require a paddle wheel so it would have a low draft to the vessel and it just kind of skims the surface. Okay. So it had in honor of those early paddle wheels like initially the best way to get around the province was by boat yeah for which i would never think of because you think of the prairies right yeah but it's like the river network and then having lake winnipeg lake winnipeg had steamers up until very recently yeah like there's still like you know there's still a coast guard station on lake winnipeg which is pretty funny because of course there is right yeah um so the paddle wheel was in homage to these early uh, steamers and so it had this, this giant wheel. fountain yeah. paddle wheel in the yeah. middle of this restaurant go, turning and you could go and I remember like going with my grandmother and my mom and my sister we'd go there like during the day when we were off school in the summer and like throw coins in there and have like you know like I, I forget what they even served there but I remember jello. having jello for dessert <laughs> I had jello for dessert. Yeah, I remember um, that. So, so in the context of the film, though, this is where the mayor kind of had his <laughs> downfall yes. because there would be these golden boy pageants, which are male beauty pageants. Yes. Uh, you know, the mayor's up there solicitously, like yeah. measuring their chests and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was he ends up being brought down politically because a lot of these golden boy contestants got cushy mm-hmm. government jobs. Yes. And they don't go into too much detail. It's a relatively short segment, really. Like, maybe only, like, four or five minutes. Yes. But uh, that's the context of that. And any other scenes stick out to you? Well, I just think funny thing about that is, uh, if I recall correct, Glenn Murray was one of the first gay mayors in Canada. I can't speak to that. That's interesting. Um, and he would have been voted in in 1999. And, you know, 1999 isn't that long ago, but it's long enough ago that, you know, being gay, being openly gay could tank your career. You know, that's I, interesting yeah. I believe yeah I, if I understand correctly Glenn Murray was so that that was just interesting to me it was interesting that he painted a, a gay mayor so like you say saliciously right in in that context when Canada was home to you know one of the first gay mayors of a major city that's interesting that's something I know that's a kind of interesting cool thing to bring up not cool but you know what I mean uh well, I mean, the, I think the only other sequence, until we talk about the end and the entire structure of the movie, uh, just because I think it's a fascinating piece of history, uh, well, actually two things, now that I think about it. I want to go into uh, the Winnipeg General Strike, uh, because in our nation, it is an important, not just for Winnipeg, but for our nation, and in some of the sources that I research, in the world for the labor movement uh, and unions, Wind day? What is it called? If day. If day. If day. Sorry. I want to talk about that because that is something that is real that is bonkers. Yes. So so can you touch upon two of those and then well, we can just pick and choose if there's anything else that we want to bring up. But. The, the idea of um, the Winnipeg General Strike was that you had an entire workforce that came back from the First World War and 
kind of well bought into it for lack of a better term they bought into the idea that's like okay well we just won what is that was at that time the most destructive conflict in history in terms of like material and like loss of life that they're like okay well yeah things are going to be better now and they came back and it wasn't uh so you look at an entire generation of people that really kind of banded together for this we're talking on the home front on the actual military front and someone was still making a buck off them right like capitalism didn't disappear because because of this and looking at what had happened recently in russia at that time which was in the throes of a civil war because there was a revolution there there was kind of this worker state coming into fruition and an Um, almost international fear yeah, of something like that happening anywhere that that was going on the world over we, you have to understand that in 1919 Canada was fighting in Russia with the white army against the red Russians like the Bolsheviks were we really? Yes. you're more of a history guy than I am yes like I know my bits of history Canada Canadians fought yes. in the Russian yeah. revolution yeah. In, in an the, official capacity? in an official capacity yeah Look at the I Sib- had no idea the Siberian expeditionary force and the like what was it around Murmansk it was um up in northern Russia, I forget the name of that expeditionary force. Um, yeah, interestingly enough, uh, it was uh, Royal Canadian Artillery and the Northwest Mounted Police. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, that whole truth about well, they say in the film Winnipeggers not knowing their own history, and you know, rather infamously, Canadians know of ourselves that we are not up on. You know, I'm not a dummy when it comes to history, but. No. You know, like, definitely there are areas where it's lacking. Yeah. But, like, the Winnipeg General Strike is a perfect example. Before yes. I saw this movie, I had no idea about this. Right. And what was it? It was, like, 20% of the workforce in the city so went on strike? What what happened was... I could be wrong with that number. That's just what's floating in my brain. Is There was um, a walkout, but it was a very coordinated walkout. And that just led to mass protests and more walkouts. And it was mainly just for, like, wages, workers' rights, yes. conditions, what conditions, you would expect. Right, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of... Um, and it went on for a long time. Yeah, it went on for some weeks, uh, if I recall correctly. Uh, around this time of year. It would have been May uh, May into June. Okay. Um, which is dicey in Winnipeg because you could have a day where it's 30 above and then a frost warning the next day. Um, but, but this, this grinds the city to the halt to the extent that they have to bring the military in? Uh, well, that was the problem. Is that most of the military... Uh, the military was basically gutted then because of demobilization from the war. Most of the strikers were former military because of the end of the First World War. Uh, so the military was found to be not really that useful. Uh, but the RCMP was. Oh, and that okay. famously led to a charge by the RCMP on horseback to kind of break up uh, break up the crowds. Because it was at the point where like streetcars could get through and the city ground to a halt. Yeah. State of emergency was declared, and uh, and th- this got international attention. Yes, you know th- this was big news at the time. Yeah, yeah, it led to other uh, smaller uh, strikes around the country as well. Well, when I was reading up on this, uh, you know, the Winnipeg general strike itself was considered a failure. Yes, because the you know the RCMP was called in, the workers went back home mm-hmm. uh, to generally the same, if not worse, conditions. But around the world it was considered a success because it got these sort of conversations about labor practices, looking at how that one went down. Mm-hmm. And it's considered for, in terms of world labor and unionization, a sort of milestone. Yes. So this is a factual thing that I think is interesting, interesting in the film because it does create this discussion and it's something that I learned. So there was an actual, there is an educational 
Absolutely. aspect of it. How, how do you think about like how they portray it in terms of like the animation and stuff like that? Well, Again, I, it's truncated into like a five minute thing. It's not yes. very long. No, that's um. Would I say like he does take the strikes to... and then decide to tie it into fetishization of young girls um, as well? Yeah, well, I think uh, Guy Madden really gets his Prince Ahmed vibe going that, in. That's this a film. really good comparison. Yeah, um, like because there's a lot of that. There's a lot of kind of that um, backlit like silhouette style yeah. animation in this, and I think that goes back to his general aesthetic, right? Of kind of like silent film and even just like pre-color film and how much that kind of affects his um his aesthetic sensibilities um, yeah i do like the prince Ahmed comparison because of course if he's going to have an animation style he's going to be using the influence of is it is it the oldest feature length yeah, animated film I mean, one, of them, anyway. one of them anyway sure, yeah. yeah um i mean how do you let's it's one of those funny things like with anything historical it's like what what do you take away from it you know 100 years later and that's yeah. uh, that's that's hard I, I does he do it justice I don't know I don't think the point is to do it justice the point is to have that be a reflection of what he thinks of Winnipeg right? and you know Winnipeg being a very sort of working it, class city it's a well it's a notoriously uh, like there's a labor temple in Winnipeg yeah you know there are all kinds of like um, very left leaning people that came there especially from eastern europe i mean my, my family included right yeah. like famously my great-grandfather came over because he would bomb trains in what was formerly russia well so yeah and as i said i want to talk about if day because if day is another thing that was one of the things when i first saw it i thought i was going to go home and look up mm -hmm. and it was going to just not be a thing that actually happened if day was a thing yeah okay so so what is if day this little segment one of the more memorable segments mm -hmm. portrayed in the film if Day was a war bond drive put on by, uh, I believe it was the Kiwanis or someone in Winnipeg or the Kinsmen or someone like that. It was a local, like, um, a voluntary uh, organization. And their whole thing was like, we're going to bring up war bond drives. And this was during the Second World War. And uh, they dressed up as the Wehrmacht and they took over, quote unquote, Winnipeg. Yeah, they got the outfits imported from Hollywood. From Hollywood, yes. Yeah. Uh, and they dressed up like they were Germans and went around asking like for ID papers and arrested the premier and the mayor and all this. And yeah. as we stated, this is one that he couldn't get that much archival footage. No, um, no. Famously, uh, people thought that this was just stupid when it See, happened. That, this is what I find. You brought this up off mic before. Yeah. And I find this fascinating because the film kind of portrays it as... You know, afterwards, sales of war bonds went up. Like, it kind of portrays it as a successful thing, but it wasn't. Well, it was, like, <laughs> I mean... It's a bonkers thing, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm just wondering, well, yeah. No, it's one of those things, it's like, yeah, we know. That's why we're putting in 80 hours a week in a factory or, you know, sending our children off to fight in Europe. Yes, we're well aware, thank you. Because this was during on. the war. This, like, was this wasn't like one of those things like before Canada's involvement. I mean, we were in their ground zero. It's not like yeah. the state said it took a while to get in. No, this was, this was, was in the, like 42 or 43 or Because I didn't even think about that, how insensitive that would be going around. And if you're, you know, a Winnipeg mother with like, you know, kids off, you know, being bombed. By, by the time that happened, I mean, members of my family were already dead, you know, from, from fighting in Europe. 
Like that's people knew what was happening. Yeah, you didn't have to and wake up and remind them. Like, I mean, th this film isn't trying to be an objective documentary. No, no, it's you not, know, it's like, not. but it's a, and it's fascinating that he throws that in there as something that did actually happen. Yes, you know. Well, because that's the thing. So it's part of that. It's part of the Winnipeg kind of mythology. Um, that's the thing, and that's why I don't. It's to look at any work of art as a historic document that is actually historical like i think that's why he when when he said when guy madden said that he didn't want to make a documentary because it's too much work it's like well of course because then people are going to hold you to a standard of of historical objectivity and reality and i don't blame him i wouldn't want to do that I'm do you think a... you end up with a lot more interesting film than you would if you just had a straight up a to b documentary about winnipeg of course yeah. do you think it in a way says more about winnipeg it says more about winnipeg um Definitely, as I think it says more about Guy Madden than it does Winnipeg. Yes, and I think that's really that's really the the point. It's like of course, I wouldn't. Well, that would be like writing well, a song that's like. Let, let's talk about the end then, right? Because when when sorry, finish your point about the song, but well, my thing is like it would be like writing a song about like a, an objective pop song about like the actual like pheromonal like reactions that happen in the human body during love. That's boring. No one wants to hear that. Yeah. What's all, yeah, that's not that's not the point. That doesn't say anything new. That's the point of art. Is that yeah? It's not Guy Madden made a fantastic work of art. He did not want to make something that was going to be used for study, and I don't blame him for that because he's an artist. He's not an educator. Um, so let's let's talk about the end of the film then, because we're talking about this being you know more about Guy Madden and less about Winnipeg. Uh, at the end of it, he, it goes back into this sort of feverish, sort of dreamlike thing. Amazingly edited. Like, some of the editing sequences. I mean, we haven't really talked about the actual structure of the film at all. It has a very interesting score. You know, like I said, it was shot on a lot of different mediums. But the way that they're edited together... And if people don't know, Guy Madden's kind of known for his editing. Yeah. Uh, I believe it's... You can see it on YouTube. One of his most famous and one of my most favorite things that Guy Madden has ever done is called The Heart of the World. Uh, which is just an amazing feat of editing. It's like a three and a half minute, four minute short mm -hmm. film. Uh, Self-contained story, very Guy Madden, but it's just absolutely incredible. And, you know, there's nothing as flashy as End of the World here, but Guy Madden is still doing his unique sort of editing tricks. <laughs> there are editing techniques that are basically, you know, considered to be his creations now that other people mm -hmm. now adopt and use. Now, the end kind of goes into this sort of fever dream and comes up with this idea of a page three girl for a local paper. Uh, there's a, a specific, I believe. Yes. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. But instead of a page three girl, and I don't, page three girls are probably still a thing. I don't know. I remember them. I remember them when I worked in factories when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, and people would have like from the Toronto Sun the page three girl like yeah, posted yeah, yeah, in like the their rigs and uh, stuff like that. So I, I don't know yeah. if they still do that. I would like to think they don't, oh, yeah, uh, but yeah. they probably fucking do. But, you know, he envisions page th a page three girl for Winnipeg. And this page three girl is Citizen Girl. I love Citizen Girl. I kind of have a crush on Citizen Girl. Citizen uh, Girl's great. Because Citizen Girl is a very upright, proper, almost looks to be wearing sort of Russian revolutionary uniform. Oh, it has Sergei Eisenstein written all over it. It's a very, yeah. like, very Soviet agitprop kind of, like... And, and, character. and the point of Citizen Girl is that Citizen Girl is going to look over Winnipeg 
So finally freeing him to be able to leave because now Citizen Girl is here and Citizen Girl will reverse all the wrongs. She will rebuild the torn down Eden's building, which we didn't really get into, but it's the same as the arena. Like it's just, he, he gets upset because an old building, a landmark got destroyed in Winnipeg. Yes. Uh, but he rebuilds the arena and all these hockey players can come back to play. And it's sort of this rising crescendo of everything that I have a problem with with Winnipeg will be fixed by this citizen girl. And it all kind of culminates, which we didn't talk about, which is the mother then, the final time you see Savage playing the mother, cradling his brother who died when he was younger, committed mm-hmm. suicide, having this very touching conversation with them and kind of ending with a photograph of actual real photographs of Guy Madden and his family and Guy Madden asleep on a couch as a child and it kind of brings this whole thing full circle of the dreamlike quality of it that you see him sleeping as a child at the end at the beginning of this journey that we will see literally mapped out through the entire film psychologically do you think that's fair? I think it's fair. I think the one thing, uh, another thing that points to it being Guy Madden's Winnipeg and not like a look at Winnipeg, <laughs> this just dawned on me. Everyone in this, even Citizen Girl, even everyone walking down the street, it's a very um, white film, whereas Winnipeg is not a very white city. Like it still is majority white, but for a city that, aside from like historical shots of indigenous people, like at the beginning of the yeah. film, it's like for a city that has the largest urban indigenous population in Canada, there's nothing there. And I think that that points towards it being Guy Madden's Winnipeg and the Winnipeg of like the early 60s more so than it is Winnipeg as it is today, which is yeah, a very, very little is contemporary. About yes. This, very little, really the only yeah. thing that comes close to, to the destruction of the arena. Yeah. Which is already... But that goes back to what I was saying about, you know, his home is a time. Is the time, yes. As no, much no, as it no, is a physical place, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that just ties into it more. No, I think the only other thing to pull out is the pool scene. Right, yeah. Uh, because the whole movie, and I'm only bringing this up because it has my favorite line of this film. Because yours was a meatloaf line. Yeah. But uh, this movie is obsessed with layers, specifically layers of three. Yes, uh, and layers it, of water for that matter too. Yeah, you know, and uh, this swimming pool, which was a real swimming pool, what was the name of it? Uh, it's the Sherbrooke Pool, I think. Is it still operational? Uh, not, it, not, not in that capacity. Well, no, it, it was yeah. in real life. It's just an Olympic-sized swimming pool yes. that was built in Winnipeg back in the fifties or something around there. Enough that it was around when Guy Madden was a kid. But he reimagines because this isn't true. I believe that there are two swimming pools underneath. Right. And he, in his story, the main swimming pool is for girls. The second one is for families and the bottom one is for boys. Yeah, it was, it was some more Something like that. Like but that. he has memories as a boy going down there. And again, this leads into the young impressions of sexuality of other naked boys running around and they're urinating on each other. Yeah. And he's just like, why can't we just swim? Yeah. And I kind of feel like that sometimes. Not that people are peeing on me, but it's like when people are just like, being ridiculous and you're like can't we just have nice things yeah can't we just enjoy and every time i leave this every so often i'll just think to myself why can't we just swim yeah <laughs> and that's yeah, my one big takeaway sure. what would what would spencer's winnipeg look like what would you focus on um i would show more than just one season that's my big <laughs> that problem. really was a bee in your bonnet about this movie 
because that's everyone's like oh winter pig it's like it's hotter there like i've been in winnipeg when it's been arguably though people not from canada like americans say it about the whole fucking country oh i know i know but but for people who are like what amazes me about this country is how hot it can get and like we just never talk about that we're always like oh it's so cold yeah well i think it's a wider range of like yeah it's very cold here but we're continental it gets very hot as well yeah Uh, well no i my winnipeg would be it would be a different time it would be some of the same buildings some of the different buildings and i like winnipeg you have to understand that winnipeg as it is now is an amalgamation of 13 villages towns municipalities and cities right yeah like it's not that's even going back before that like my my dad's from st james and my mom's from charleswood and like now that's the city of winnipeg but you have to remember there's time when it wasn't mm-hmm. you know it's like the difference between like halifax and dartmouth now it's like the halifax regional municipality whereas the yeah. last time when it was different it was split up it's like you know it's more like the Brampton and Toronto thing except now it's just not now imagine that Brampton is just Toronto and considered part of Toronto yeah when I was a kid you would still have to drive through some fields and open places to get to Toronto but that's yeah. not the case that's anymore the case, yeah. um, okay so as I usually end the show I mean I usually say ask what this film says about Canada there's nation building and mythologizing all over the place and this is the same but different it's mythologizing and it's but it's like a personal building thing. It's, it, it's Guy Madden building himself up and building up his history. Uh, I think that that says something about Canada in general. Is that like you could, as much as this is a regional and very like personal thing, you could have a my Canada thing as well. For some people, there would be no difference. I know people who grew up in places like Toronto who are like, oh, I was amazed when I found out we weren't American. You know? And for some people, that's true. I remember talking to some kids at school and they're like, well, like, yeah, we're part of America in, like, grade three. And it's like, are you, like... Dumb? Are you serious? Oh, yeah, for sure. That's crazy. All they right. Just don't have an, they don't have an idea of, of, like, a national identity. I'm not saying that's a good thing or it's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's a thing. Yeah. So, overall, glad you watched it. Glad I made you watch it. Oh, yeah. Got another Guy Madden under yeah, the belt. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to doing more Guy Madden films. I'm not quite sure which one I would want to do next, but... uh I'd really like to do one on Careful. I, th- I think that's my favorite Guy Madden film. All right, all right. What, do, do you have a favorite? No, Guy Madden, such, he's such a mixed bag, and it's like, as much as he has a style, he's kind of like Lynch in the sense of like, all of his movies are like just different enough. Yeah. You know, that it's like, oh, yeah. I, no, I couldn't, I wouldn't say that I do. Fair enough. Okay, well, on that note, thanks for uh, doing this. Hope it, hope it turns out. Yeah. Uh, all right. North and Normal is a product, product of Eldritch Creative, which can be found on Facebook at Eldritch Creative and Instagram at Eldritch.Creative. This show can be found at North of Normal on Facebook and on Instagram at, at North of Normal Pod. Intro music is by Dad vs. Son out of Hamilton, Ontario. That's it for now. We'll see you.